Welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. That's comic books, everybody. That's right. This is the only podcast where two people who happen to be brothers talk about a thing they love, and that thing is comic books. I'm one of the two hosts slash brother slash kind of comedian slash comic book fan, Kevin Hines. And I'm all that and less Will Hines. That's right. Um, That's who we are. And we are going to talk. This is one of our um, non-season episodes or of our in-between episodes that we do between seasons, Will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where we cover or we read uh, mail that people send to us. Yeah. And we also use that as a chance to focus on some sort of long run of stuff that we're interested in. Right now we're doing John Byrne's run on Fantastic Four. And Kevin, we call this template of episode Cosmic Rays and Correspondence. And then as anyone who's been listening to this podcast knows, Steve Ditko came up with that name. He pitched <laughs> it to us and we accepted it. Yep. Uh, so Cosmic Rays and Correspondence, another bit of genius from Steve Ditko. Yes, Good right. job, Steve. Thanks for being a f- listener from Beyond the Grave. I mean, he's just as responsive as he would be if he were a listener from before he died. So, yeah, who, who's to say? I mean, he famously answers males. He just uh, <laughs> often tersely and uh, not about the topic you want to talk about. I don't want to talk to my fans. Now, if you don't mind, I'm going back to my publicly listed studio with my <laughs> publicly listed phone number. Why would anyone care about Spider-Man? <laughs> Aren't you more interested in what I'll be doing next? No, Ditko, no. <laughs> um, yeah, so we're going to be talking about uh, the next three issues of John Burns' Fantastic Four run. That's t- issues 241, 242, and 243. Am I correct in those numbers, Well, That is correct. Great. We got a couple segments first. First of all, we're still in December, and that means we're in our Screw It Insta Push month. Uh, we do it every year, starting this year. Hashtag <laughs> Screw It Insta Push. Uh, we've had some great. We've had some great Insta pushes so far. Thank you to everyone oh, who's done it, and uh, we're looking for more. We our initial goal was fifteen hundred followers. We rocketed past that, and uh, we didn't know what we should set our next goal for. Somebody. Kevin put out a poll. A lot of people voted that we should go for 1,511 followers, which yeah. is, I do like the yeah. unambitiousness of that. Yeah, that was at a moment we were at 1,510. <laughs> so, so just that one was a, more. That was a saying, in the month, we'll go for one more. Um, I, I, yeah, I accept these three options. So one was 1,600, basically going for another 100. What yeah. was 6,000, which <laughs> sure. is what I misheard you saying in the previous podcast and went with. Uh-huh. And one was just one additional person. <laughs> now, those people are already correct. We, we've passed 15 and 11. Okay. 1,511. We're currently at 1,515 as of this recording. Now, That's... mind you, we've been up and down around there. We've been up to 16 or 17. We've gone back down to 13. It's been... We've lost some people recently. Also, I think some of our followers get found out to be bots mm. and, and like removed and stuff like that, too. I emailed um, Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> and I asked him how many of our followers were bots. He said none of them. Yeah, you have his email. Yeah. And he answers. Yeah, he doesn't answer text or phone calls, but he'll answer emails pretty quickly. He also doesn't answer Facebook Messenger. Uh, what a hypocrite. Um, well, uh, so... Okay, we're looking to get to – I'm going to say we're looking to get to 1,600. Uh, there's no I'm way gonna, that'll happen. I'm going I'm to stick with 6,000. If we're not going to get there, I'd rather shoot higher. Okay. 
I'm going for sixteen hundred. Kevin's going for six thousand. Let's see which one of us is closer. Uh, without got, going over, what two more weeks? <laughs> two more weeks. So let's see if we can sextuple our uh, um, total, or even just get another hundred. Um, uh, but you can help with the hashtag Screw It Insta Push. Take one of our panels from our Instagram feed and put it in your story. Hashtag Screw It Insta Push. Um, and let people know about uh, our podcast. Yeah, and then ho- and then if you are a listener of our podcast that came to our podcast because of the Insta push, I don't know if you exist, but if you are a person who's real, uh, email us. And <laughs> email screw us it at comics. Screw- mm-hmm. Sorry, go screw it comics at gmail.com and let us know that the screw it Insta push was a huge success and it got yeah. you on board. You're an you're a little Insta baby. You're a screw it yeah. Insta baby. Uh, we'd love to know that. And so, yeah, okay, that's all I have to say about our screwed Insta push. Moving on to our next segment, um, where we talk about movies and TV shows and stuff, which, and also I'm just going to expand that into anything I want. Uh, so I finished Marvel The Untold Story by Sean Howe. I've been talking about it the last couple episodes. And something I'm, I'm struck by is, you know, we just did a, um, we just covered Squadron Supreme. And I didn't really realize how much Mark Grunewald was important, like behind the scenes, that he was like, you know, not just a the writer of Captain America and lots of stuff, but that he was like an executive editor in the early 90s. And he was one of the main brainchilds behind the Marvel Universe, uh, the, the the official handbook to the Marvel Universe. I mean, you know, yeah. not not just the Marvel Universe, uh, but like the official handbook to the Marvel Universe, the thing where they like, you know, mm-hmm. tried to turn all of the heroes and villains into encyclopedia entries and talk about their first appearance and their powers and stuff. That he was kind of like fanatical about trying to track all that. And probably the late 80s was the last time that was a one-man job. Like I imagine the the titles and characters exploded in the early 90s to the point where it just – you couldn't do that just with a with a drawer full of index cards. Um, yeah, and status quo has changed so much now. But – but uh, you know, he like, was. A, if you look at Wikipedia pages for characters, it's very funny. It'd be like it's like a paragraph for the '60s, a paragraph for the '70s, a paragraph for the '80s, sometimes a paragraph for the '90s, and then like twelve more paragraphs. It's like one's just for Civil War, one's just for like New Avenger. It's just like, yeah, oh man, these characters go through so much now, and it used to just be like during this time, Spider Man, you know, <laughs> fought the Beyond. Yeah. Or whatever. Then Spider Man went to college. <laughs> yeah. And now it's like, you know, Earth 616, they, you know, had one arm. And then over here, he's now he can fly. But anyway, so anyway, Mark Grunewald was like um, just a really important behind the scenes guy. I'm sure that anybody who knows this and not me, it's like I'm understating it. But that um, he was passionate about Marvel. Like Marvel was his life to a large degree, like not not just a place he worked. He cared about the universe a lot, the fictional universe of Marvel. Mm hmm. Um, a lot of people say he died because you were not aware of how important he was <laughs> soon enough. Okay, well, that wasn't said in Marvel: The Untold Story. So a lot of people say it um, in other <laughs> books and other histories of Marvel that comes up. Well, I just came to appreciate him even more. Um, that he just seemed to be a, a special guy to the to the people who loved Marvel. So um, I was interested to read that. And then also, I read. Oh, do you have anything you want to talk about in this regard? I saw the new Black Panther movie. I saw oh, a movie. Yeah. I went to a theater. You went out to a theater, even though you have a child who I do not acknowledge. Yeah, it's the first. It's like the third movie I've seen since the pandemic has started, and uh, it was exciting. Uh, I saw Black Panther with our friend Porter Mason. So it's it's a Wakanda forever. 
Wakanda Forever. And they mentioned Black Panther in this movie? Yeah. I mean, it's a movie about the place he's from. Okay. Okay. He sat with Porter Mason, our friend. Yeah. Who sometimes um, listens to this podcast. He probably listens to like half. And he's like, ah, I get the idea. It's probably right about here that he turns it off. Maybe he's listening to this one, though. And now he's hearing his name and it's giving him that little thrill <laughs> from his friends remembering his name. Porter Maison. Uh, so what did you think of the movie? Um, uh, and again, I don't, it's my third time in a theater mm-hmm. in a couple of years. So this could be skewed. And as my wife reminded me also one of the few times I've gone out of the house, that's not just like running an errand. Okay. So, uh, I loved it. You loved but it. Maybe yeah. it was just like going somewhere. I feel like uh, the so general other consensus people have different is, opinions. The that, consensus is positive on this movie. I feel like I have no idea. I think it's positive there. I think there is just general Marvel fatigue from the fan base where it is hard to rouse the Marvel fan base into excitement. Like, I don't think there's the same excitement over Wakanda forever than there was over like Andor uh, in terms of like sci-fi fantasy geek properties. And yet I bet way, way more people saw this Black Panther movie than watched Andor. Yes, that's true. Uh, uh, How was Prince Namor represented in it? Have you not seen it? I haven't seen it. I've seen a movie you haven't seen? Yeah, that's right. Ooh. <laughs> I was so busy reading Marvel the Untold Story, you know, it took up all, it took up all my time. Yeah, but you see like four movies a day in Hollywood, right? Oh yeah, out in Hollywood, you can't help but see two or three movies a day, you know? Yeah. You put you're you like walking your to pick up groceries and you see a movie. I I saw Stevie Spielberg recently. He's like, "Hey, you seen my Fable Boys movie?" I'm like, "Let's do it." Yeah. You did see that movie. I did see Fablemans, yeah. Yeah. I did not. Uh, I liked it. I liked it a lot. I think it's really great. And Namor is, I don't want it to go into details because it's early in the podcast, so I'm not going to spoil anything. But Namor is nothing like he is in the comics. Okay. I mean, other than like surface trappings that he is, you know, lives underwater and can breathe air and fly and is super strong. Okay. Yeah. But his personality and his story his, and stuff. Yeah. Because like in the comics, how would you describe Namor in the comics? Prideful. Yeah. I think if I think of Namor, it is, you dare? Like that is Prince Namor's yeah. constantly wondering why people dare to insult him, you know? Yeah. I just picture him constantly punching or about to punch someone. Yeah. He's on the edge. He's like ready to punch out surface dwellers at any point. Yeah. And he, that anger, that fierce, that like insane level of <laughs> uh, anger yeah. isn't there. Like this character is very angry. He's a villain of the film, but he is like a more contained anger. And more like in control of himself. Is he buff? Um, I mean, the guy looks great. Okay, that's a big part of Namor. Namor's always um, Namor's always got his shirt off. Uh, he's a handsome, handsome fellow. Yeah, so like it's very interesting. His backstory is also uh, I, I don't want to get in any details about it, but has nothing. His backstory in this movie is nothing from the comics, but it really works. I think it's really fun and it adds okay. a level. I'll say this about this movie: it's the first Marvel movie in a long time where I watched it and I felt like. Oh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe got bigger. Like it's been a while since it felt like that. Okay, yeah. It feels like a lot of the stuff lately, even stuff like Miss Marvel that introduces new characters, feels like inward looking. Right. Like, oh, we have all these fun toys. Let's rearrange them or add like a new piece and see how that affects the other toys. Oh, here's Miss Marvel. She's a fan of the superheroes. Here's another Hawkeye. Here's Loki doing this other thing. Yeah. Um, so even like when they're introducing new characters, it just feels like they're playing with the pieces. Even the Eternals, which feels like it should be this whole big thing. It feels like, oh, look what's happening on the fringes around the Marvel Universe. It's what it felt like to me. That might not be fair. 
This one just felt like, oh, this underwater kingdom feels like a Kirby-esque new world that we're meeting that we didn't know existed in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and has just been there, and now it's there to play with whenever we want. It's such like a cool thing. That's very exciting. I mean, that is what a lot of old Jack Kirby comics felt like. like he was yeah. constantly like expanding the yeah. universe. I mean, even though this is like something that exists in the Marvel comics, it still gave me that feeling uh, of like, oh man, now this this is new and different and bigger um, in a great way. Uh, so it's great. Um, and Angela Bassett is phenomenal in this movie. She has got a scene in the middle of this movie that I had. Sometimes I watch movies and I see like a, a known great actor. Yes. Be great. And I think to myself, oh, man, they're good. <laughs> and it's like a dumb thing. But I like in the moment, I can't help it. I'm just like, oh, yeah. man. Yeah. I gotta tell people how good Angela Bassett is at acting, <laughs> which is dumb because she is known to be great. She's been yeah. great in many, many things. I would say all things. I haven't seen everything she's in. I'm assuming she's always great. And in this movie, she's great. But like in the middle of this movie, I'm like, oh, wow, what a shock that the most esteemed actor in this movie is great. Um, um, and so um, that was my reaction. You're selling, you're selling being me on amazing. it. Uh, you're selling me on it. Maybe I'll go see it. And there was uh, things that happened in this movie that surprised me. I did not get spoiled in this movie. I'm really surprised because it took me a while to see it, which is why I'm being careful. Because if other people are like me and haven't seen it, uh, there were not huge like um twist type reveal type things but just like oh i didn't know this was going to happen oh i didn't know this was going to i'm like i was kind of surprised at how little i knew about the plot um that's fun when that happens yeah, it's uh, very rare uh, i'm excited to see it I, I don't know why i've been putting it off i i, I i've been seeing little smaller movies when i go out in the theater so yeah uh, like spielberg's indie well, stuff okay fableman's <laughs> i don't know Fable, <laughs> Fable, i don't you're right fableman's isn't <laughs> i saw the menu that was kind of a smaller yeah. movie um, okay, well, um, I also I also read Alex Ross's Full Circle today, but maybe I'll talk about that next episode. Yeah, we need something. Yeah, that's a fantastic four thing. So I'll talk about it next episode. Great. Uh, so let's get into these John Byrne issues, Kevin. Sure. Now, John Byrne is... Oh, he's a writer artist. Okay, great. Okay, he was initially just an artist on Iron mm -hmm. Fist. That's probably where you know him from. Sure, I'm a big Iron Fist guy. Mm -hmm. and, and Marvel uh, Team-Up. Those are my two books. And I think he had a little bit to do with the X-Men here or there. I think he used to ink uh, Nightcrawler. <laughs> <laughs> wow, they brought him in just to ink Nightcrawler? Yeah. Oh, all right. Um, no, uh, famous writer-artist Kevin. He's one of our favorites. And um, Yeah, and this is sort of peak John Byrne oh, at yeah. the um, height of his powers – which I think lasted a little while, but like this, I, I feel like his the height of his powers are from like uh, the Dark Phoenix through yeah. like the first twelve issues of Superman. Yeah, and then like, and then very not very that he, good get, he doesn't that. get bad afterwards, but he like his powers start to fade, maybe, maybe a little less consistent. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, a certainly super special talent. I mean, it's condescending for us to even describe him that way. So we got three issues, yeah. Kevin. I would say a lot the, of people say he's the Angela Bassett <laughs> Marvel Comics. A lot of people say that, right? Yep. His breakthrough role was what's Claremont got to do with it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so these issues are galactastic. Mm -hmm. uh, we got a lot of Galactus coming up, Kev. Yeah. But not right away. Uh, let's issue 241. This is a one and done story. 
which they've pretty much all been. Mm, yes, I think that's right. Uh, yeah, because we've had some double, we had triple sized issue in two thirty six, but that was a still one and done. And like the ego one, sort of, it was, was two issues. It was but like it was like a separate story, and then right. the ego story. So um, in this issue, they uh, they go to visit Wakanda. Fittingly, having just talked about the oh, Wakanda yeah. movie, they go to Wakanda to investigate a power source. They find out that there's a bad guy who's doing some stuff. And they once they investigate him, they get rid of him in one panel, and then the issue is over. Right? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Black Panther goes along for this mission. Uh, like the FF get captured, they lose their the FF lose their powers. Yeah, and the Black Panther's like, well, I don't have powers. Well, he kind of does, but he kind of does. But for, for the purpose of this comic, he doesn't. And so he's like, oh, I'm gonna, I can get out and save everybody. But he doesn't even do that. He just kind of goes out and fights some people, and then like their powers come back. Um, but it's still pretty fun. It's, 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 it's a, it's a well-organized story. Um, and it's also, you know, John Byrne seems to want to take a tour of all the big Kirby things. So like, this is the Black Panther stop on the John Byrne nostalgia tour. Like we go to Wakanda, we visit Prince T'Challa. Like you get it, you know, you, you get a feeling that Byrne just wants to touch all of the Kirby toys. Yeah. And there's also, even though it's kind of a nothing issue. There's a lot of fun character moments for the FF. Like the thing is sort of fun in his Indiana Jones garb. Sue is going to be forced to be the bride, but she is ultimately the one that defeats him. Yep. Yeah. John Byrne does not let the invisible girl take take a backseat in these stories. Uh, Frankie Ray, who's new to the team, like everybody else knows, like reads like, hey, don't use your powers, guys. Let's hold back until we figure out what's going on. But Frankie Ray eventually just uses her powers. And it's kind of like that sort of throws things off. For a while, like they could have won even easier if she didn't do that. Right. But she's not a seasoned superhero. So that's even like a fun thing. Yeah. We see her make a rookie mistake. Um, We start off with them. Shield has asked the FF to come look at something. Shield has detected a massive energy source in the middle of Africa near Wakanda mm -hmm. and asks the FF to look at it. There's a little bit of talk over how, oh, the Avengers can't do this. And other people can't do this, so it's got to be us. Like, S.H.I.E.L.D. would be, like, causing a diplomatic incident. Yeah. And I guess Black Panther's not on the Avengers right now, so, so that, they can't do it. So uh, the FF is kind of like an independent agent who can go in there. And they're friendly with him. And they know him. They they uh, they brought him into the Marvel Universe, um, sort of. And so they, they get into one of the, like, Fantasta Jets or whatever it's called. And... Um, Thing takes the chance to dress up like Indiana Jones, which was a big movie around this time. But I guess in this universe, it's called the Idaho Smith movie series. Oh. Johnny Storm looks at it and says, I don't believe it. It's Idaho Smith himself. Oh, yeah, he does say that. But they reference the Ark of the Covenant. I think just to let you know. That's weird. They were putting out an Indiana Jones comic. Yeah, right. That's right. They were doing an adaptation of Indiana Jones. I, I don't know. Just like try to be safe or just thought it would be fun. Uh, Claremont and Byrne both love doing like shout outs to the hot movies of the time. Uh, even Reed saw the movie is referenced in this. Yeah. Sue dragged Reed to see it. And um, so we get to Wakanda and they're immediately attacked by some Wakandan tribes. Prince T'Challa calls them off. He goes, ah, even though the thing looks different, I recognize him. I'm like, doesn't look that different. I yeah, know. He looks mostly the same. <laughs> 
It's a big rock guy, but his rocks look different. It's smoother, not as not yeah. as they don't look like Joe Sinnott drew this guy. And he's saying it's clobbering time. It might be somebody different. <laughs> so uh, T'Challa says, oh, yeah, there's this big energy source that's risen up and there's some Soviet guys investigating it. But I'll lead you in, and we'll do it in secret so we don't like rile up the Soviets. Or something yeah, like they that. even sort of like fake it as if T'Challa is not going with them, which feels like unnecessary subterfuge based on like the plot that follows. But. It's all, they want to do it without raising an alarm, so they 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 kind of go undercover, uh, and they find that the Soviet troops. Oh yeah, so the, there's like a big glass pillar. It looks like it looks like the Devil's Canyon from Close Encounters of a Third Kind, but it is made of glass or something like that. You see Fablemans, and you can't stop talking about your Spielberg stuff. This has got an ET like vibe, sort of an always feel, kind of mm-hmm. like the Terminal. Uh huh. Sure, sure. Um, all the big ones. So uh, they they go to investigate, and they are now attacked again, this time by people in Roman gear. And then they are they they are brought to inside the big glass pillar, and they find a facsimile of ancient Rome. Yeah. Uh, it looks pretty cool. Looks pretty cool. Yeah, some great drawings. There's a really cool wooden elevator that takes them up that looks really like looks like burn really put a lot of effort into designing and drawing it looks great uh we get in front of this there's a roman emperor and with a wave of his hand all of their powers are gone right frank frankie ray burst into flames and when he realizes they have power he takes all their powers away um, which really limits them and then locks them all up and without their powers they can't escape oh except for sue's gonna be his bride yes uh so she's put in a bedroom next to his quarters and as I said, like the Black Panther is able to escape because he did not lose his powers because he doesn't have them, I guess. Um, and, you know, uh, he's sort of fighting guards while this is all going on. Uh, Sue gets the backstory of this guy. Yeah, which is that he was like a lowly soldier in the actual Roman Empire under Caliglia. And uh, they stumbled on an alien ship and uh, he stabs an alien and steals his armor, which gives him like infinite power. Yeah. Kind of, right? Yeah, and he uses the infinite power to basically keep doing the stuff he would have done anyway. Except he's in charge. Gives himself a promotion. But Sue sort of just thinks what a petty use of his power. Yeah, he didn't even leave the area. He was saying like, not a lot of women here. I'm like, you couldn't have gone and found... Some girls, like with your golden armor back in, you know, when you first got this, you couldn't head over to Londonium, <laughs> as it was known. <laughs> uh, he makes Ben Grimm and Johnny dress up as gladiators and fight for his amusement. Makes Sue watch. Uh, um, and then Sue defeats him by taking his helmet off his head. Yeah, she decides to see who's under the mask, but by removing his helmet, she sees there's nothing <laughs> There's nothing inside the armor. He screams no and collapses and is defeated. Yeah. Apparently the armor just thought he was still alive, had like absorbed his essence and just like was like acting him out. Yeah. And then once Sue kind of shows that the jig is up, the armor collapses and it looks like all of the citizens of New Rome had really should have been dead centuries ago, but were being kept alive by the armor and now I'll die and everything's over. And they get their yeah. and the FF get their power back. 
this issue and like Wanda's friends and a few others feel almost like Byrne is doing like Twilight Zone episodes. Like here's a cool idea and the FF just happened to be a part yeah. of the story, but they're not even a huge part of the story. The idea yeah, is the story. They're kind of tourists in a little sci-fi story. Uh, but I got to say, Kevin, I dig that. I think that is what lives in my memory so fondly is there was the distinct lack of huge, like, event-driven things in this FF era. You know, it wasn't like Inferno or Follow the Mutants all the time. It was like, hey, here's a cool little sci-fi story featuring the FF. Yeah, and I do. I like it a lot. I think the character stuff carries it. I do think the ideas aren't quite as cool as Byrne thinks they are. They're, like, mm -hmm. good. Like, some of them are cool ideas, but ones like this and, and even Wanda's friends, I feel Wendy, like. Wendy's friends. Wendy's friends uh, feel... Wolverine's friends. Uh, I feel like they are pretty good ideas um, that don't quite work the way they're being told to me. But the character moments for the FF carry the comic enough that I don't care too much. Like I said, like I liked all the little moments, like Sue kind of saving herself and Frankie Ray making mistakes. That's my favorite parts of this issue, not the story really. And it, I think the way it's told, it feels like the story should be my favorite part. I see. Yeah. Yeah. Burns kind of being like, get a load of this. You're like, eh. Yeah. But you like the garnishes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, let's go on to 242. So this is this is the beginning of a multi-issue story. Yeah. We're going to cover the first two parts of it, but we were not going to finish the whole arc here. We're kind of um, cliffhanger. Yeah. A little cliffhanger in our uh, coverage of Burn. We'll cover the rest of it next week. Um. Basically, what we have here is a herald of Galactus named Terex, formerly Tyros. Uh, Terex, shows, the untamed. Yes, uh, comes to Manhattan and really messes everything up, captures the city, lifts it into space, and asks the FF to kill Galactus, who he is sick of working for. Uh, that's the yeah. overall story of this issue. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's more involved than that. It involves Terex arriving. Uh, and then battling the FF at the Baxter building and then moving the battle to all of Manhattan. We got a lot of guest stars who start getting ready to show up. Do you know who created Terex the Untamed? I don't know. I looked it up because I was curious because he look he's got a cool look, I think. Dave Cockrum? Uh no. John Byrne. Oh, really? Yeah, Marv Wolfman was the writer. John Byrne was the artist on an earlier FF issue where this character debuted. I think that's just why he looks so cool. I think Byrne is also good at designing characters. Yeah. He looks cool. It's also probably why Byrne wanted to bring him back because he has a little, it's a little one of his. It's one of his, yeah. And he also, he obviously likes the look. He came up with it, so he wants to draw him. Mm -hmm. um, we open, it's Christmas, and Reed has made a little mechanical tree Instead of a natural tree, and he reveals to Sue, oh, look, this is actually a machine. That offends Sue, so she turns invisible. Little Frankie Richards, Fr Franklin Richards, is playing with the rocket ship, and he fires it across the room, and Reed admonishes him before we realize that ship's not able to fly, and somehow Franklin made it fly. Yeah. I don't think any toy rockets have a big sticker on it that say, this is not a flying toy, but they needed some way to get that across. Like, maybe, maybe the box would say that. Yeah, even if they are a flying toy, this is like flame coming out of the back of it. Like it would be banned. Yeah, yeah. If this were a proper toy. But yeah, there's this. There's definitely a subplot with uh, Franklin having powers. Yeah, we're starting to see that happen. Um, 
Oh, we there's cut we, to. Oh, sorry, go. We we see the torch and and uh, oh, we see Thing getting bullied in Central Park, and he throws a big snowball and knocks them all over, and it's kind of fun. Yeah, he throws like a little ball of snow, and it rolls so fast and furiously across Central Park, it becomes a giant s- snowball that knocks them all down. Then Johnny and Frankie go on a date to watch Frankie's roommate in a play. So we get John Burns' portrayal of the East Village beatnik art, uh, acting scene. Yeah. I kind of liked all that stuff. It really – it makes New York feel real, though I don't know how real this is to what New York was like at that time. Um, Relative like to it. other Marvel comics, uh, Burn, Burn, would, Burn would get into Manhattan. Or actually, I don't know. This era of Marvel comics, I think all the artists and writers lived in Manhattan. So they were yeah. like – and they weren't like rich celebrity guys. This is like still a time when you made like no money. I mean that's probably relatively still true, but I think they made even less money now than – they would 10 years later. And so these guys are like living in, you know, not great apartments in the East village. And so a lot of their real lives come seeping in. Yeah. But it definitely, like, there's just, it feels like the eighties had just more of the characters walking around the city, like more Spider-Man, like running across rooftops, just like seeing the city. Particular rooftops, like, you know, swinging by FAO Schwartz or something like that. (laughs) Yeah. Doing a quick, uh, buying an overpriced teddy bear before heading home. Yeah. Um, you know, we're getting a pretzel from a guy next to a Central Park like carriage ride or something like that. Yeah. Uh, okay. Then they see that the the roof of Manhattan, the sky of Manhattan is all of a sudden covered with like an energy field. And this is the arrival of Terex. Uh, first, yeah, he does... I really. Oh, sorry, go. No, you got it. I'm sure I was uh, going to say I... nothing. I really enjoyed this sequence of like the FF, like Johnny sees this weird energy field and races back to the Baxter building. The thing races back. Like they see this and they all kind of go back to the headquarters to see what's going on and like regroup. Like they don't, there's no signal flare to tell them to do that. I kind of love this field. Just like, this is one of our things. We deal with stuff like this. Let's get back to the Baxter building. It's just a fun couple of panels of just them regrouping. Yeah, yeah, it is fun. They they go into fighting mode. The the team activates and they get back to the Baxter Building, and Terex uh, evaporates the top two floors of the Baxter Building. Yeah, and then he punches the thing like twelve stories through down through the building. We get a cross section view of the Baxter Building and the thing being pummeled through twelve different floors. Then the other Fantastic Three try to deal with Terex, and in the meantime, Ben climbs back up and. Hits him so hard, we get an overhead shot that we see him go through uh, the Baxter building and then two other city blocks. Yeah, and then he lands in a uh, cab and, you know, he's mad about it. It's kind of reminiscent of that X-Men thing where Rogue gets punched into space. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's some, there's which, was some not, nice... which was not a burn issue, but it just it no. reminds me of that moment. There's some nice uh, uh, big punches going on here. Uh, Terex has hit so far, he's downtown. So he goes on top of the still existing Twin Towers World Trade Center and establishes a huge energy field overall of Manhattan, which is a dome. Then he severs the island and lifts it into the air. We don't know that's what's happening right now, but he encloses it in a dome. Yeah, like all the tunnels get sort of sliced open and the bridges get sliced uh, in half. Uh, Spidey's... Spider Sense goes mad. I guess that makes sense that it would tingle with the islands getting kidnapped. Yeah, he's in Queens, so he's not getting pulled up, but he sees it happening. A uh, lot of the main heroes happen to be outside the island. 
Uh, Donald Blake uh, hits his cane and turns into Thor. Iron Man suits up. Daredevil, by far the least powerful of this group, uh, also notices stuff with his radar sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they're all outside of it, and so they kind of just see it get swept up in the air. But inside, the FF approach Terex. He they they cross through the boundary and stand on top of this dome, and they see that man that Manhattan is in space. I think they'd stand on top of the Twin Towers. Yeah, oh, and that makes them poke through. Yeah, or so he, high. I think he lowers it, but just so the tallest buildings in the city pop through, so not any other buildings. Okay, yeah, he wants to show them what's going on. So he has brought Galactus's ship to Earth so that the FF can kill Galactus. Yeah, he's like, who better to kill Galactus, to defeat Galactus, than the people who've done it a few times? Makes sense. Oh, yeah, hey. Uh, and that's issue 242. Should we go on to 243? Let's. Let's do it. So this is part two of this story. Uh, this this is, is very a memorable issue to me. The cover and the contents really stand out in my memory. This is an iconic one. This is a big one in the John Byrne run. So this is the FF squaring off against Galactus on behalf of Terex. Um, so there's uh, we we open sort of with other people in New York kind of noticing what's going on. The Invisible Girl, she's still the Invisible Girl, and Frankie Ray are on the top of the severed Baxter building being like, this is bad. Sue is filling in Frankie Ray. Yeah, this is a Herald of Galactus. Uh, Frankie Ray in a big foreshadowing moment is like, huh, Galactus. That's, ooh, I'm, I can't stop thinking about Galactus. Yep. The Avengers are like, this is bad. They're right. Um, we cut back to the top of the Twin Towers where the FF are facing Terex and Reed is like, all right, Terex is right. Let's go, let's go deal with Galactus. Yeah, I mean, I think they're, they don't like that he has tricked them into doing it, but at the same time, they don't want Galactus to eat Earth, so they're kind of stuck. So they go to Galactus's ship, and Galactus is weak. He's like feeble. He hasn't he hasn't eaten in a while. And then he like somehow sucks his last stores from the batteries of his ship somehow mm-hmm. and gets a little energy boost. And the FF approach him and they have a conversation. Yeah, they don't attack. Uh they're like, we don't fight villains anymore. We just remove helmets. That's sort of our thing. Yep. Can can you bend down here? Um, and Galactus kind of fills them in on what's going on. He's like, yeah, I've been weak and feeding, and I, I know everything that's been going on. Uh, Galactus like recaps the last issue. He's like, you think I don't know? And then Galactus, in sort of a pompous third-person voice, summarizes the last issue. Yeah, and then Tarek sort of sees them talking, uh, and he gets mad. He's like, hey, why aren't you killing him? Um, and then Galactus is mad, and he like restores Manhattan to its proper place and heals everything right um not yet right does he he do that Uh, pretty soon oh yeah i guess he does do that yes you're right that does happen there terris goes destroy galactus and galactus is kind of like you don't tell me what to do and he puts manhattan back heals it frankie ray is like obsessed with galactus i mean that's powerful to like reseal up the tunnels and i assume people still died but maybe not it's unclear but he like, you know, the power went out because all the cables got broken and they seem to have gotten fixed in this. Yeah, but the subway start running and New Yorkers just start getting right back on the subway. They're like, thank yeah. God. Boy, that they were all tweeting. What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> like, ugh, the L train. At Galactus. When are you going to do something about this? And he did. And, and then now he's mayor of New York. <laughs> 
I mean, who's a crazier mayor, Galactus or J. Jonah Jameson? (laughs) Close. It's close. I'd love to see them debate each other. Galactus knows not of tax policy or regressive uh, revenue streams. I'll stop Spider-Man. If Albany will not uh, help fund our train systems, Galactus will eat Albany. (laughs) Uh, Galactus then just sucks all of Terex's power away, returns him to his old identity of Tyros, and just lets him plummet to, to the ground. But then Galactus says, now to eat Earth. Now to eat Earth. And so the FF attack and the Avengers and Thor, uh, Spider-Man and Daredevil are watching, but they kind of don't do anything. Daredevil's like, what are we going to do? And Spider-Man's like, yeah, you're right. Let's just watch. Yeah. I don't know why they're in this comic. It's a really fun moment. Uh, uh, It's a very memorable moment of Daredevil going like, this is out of our league, pal. Uh, Yeah. Spidey goes to Daredevil. Hi, you red. Uh, Time we got involved, wouldn't you say? And Daredevil goes, no, Spider-Man, I wouldn't. We're small-time super folk compared to what's being unleashed down there. We'd just be in the way. It may well reach a point where the Avengers and the FF will actually need our help. But to be honest, I don't think much of Earth's chances if it comes down to that. Spider-Man, you know, the great power with great responsibility guy himself goes, yeah, I'm afraid you're right, Daredevil. Guess the most we can do right now is watch and wait. Let's let these guys run past us into an elevator and just hope for the best. (laughs) He doesn't say that, but that's kind of what he's doing metaphorically. Yeah. I mean, it's true. Spider-Man is, I guess he's Captain America strong. Captain America is involved. He could be at least doing that. But we get a couple of like, they can't like hurt Galactus too much. So they get a couple of like annoying annoyances they do. Like the wasp flies in his eyes. Yeah. And he swats around and then laser beams wasp. And then Doctor Strange casts like a spell that like makes makes Galactus scared. Yeah. Uh, And then Reed slingshots Ben into Galactus and knocks him over. And I remember this panel distinctly. Yes, me too. Uh, Galactus stumbles backwards and it's a big full page. Uh, well, even before Gal- that, the last panel before, let's read that. Uh, when when Thing hits Galactus basically in the chin, it's a real yeah. glass jaw moment. Uh, like an ancient oak swaying before the onslaught of a hurricane, Galactus staggers. And then incredibly, Galactus the falls, yeah. Yeah, Galactus falls and he like crushes into a building. This and, this uh, this panel is kind of recreated in Marvels. Uh, the when uh, Kurt Busiek, Alex Ross of Galactus falling over. There's there's a kind of a mirror image of it, and I thought it was a Kirby panel, but it's a John Byrne panel. Hmm. Yep. There you go. And uh, then um, Galactus is unconscious, and Reed says a crazy thing. Um. We have no choice, old friend. We have to save Galactus. Yeah. Um, and that's our cliffhanger. That's the end of the issue. Yeah. Galactus is going to die, but Reed wants to save his life. He doesn't get into his reasons too much here. Not this, he will next get into issue. it next issue. Yeah. Um, Which we're not going to cover ever. We're, we're not skipping next ever. issue. Skipping next issue, we're going to move on to Agatha Harkness goes shopping. <laughs> no, we'll cover that issue. We'll, and then and the two after that next week. Uh, yes, that's right. So um, these are pretty good. I mean, this is an iconic one. This Galactus yes. Falls thing. This is one of the one of the top burn moments. Yeah. And the pacing of these these monthly issues is really cool. Like the last handful of issues have been these sort of done in one. I, I've been sort of 
knocking them down a little bit saying, oh, this part didn't work for me. This part didn't work for me. They've been good issues. Yes. But like because they've sort of been good smaller tales, like when you get to a Galactus tale, then burn kind of goes all out and it feels even more epic. If like everything was a Galactus fight, it starts losing. It gets tiring. Yeah. You get weary. I, I don't know. I mean, the, you know, these these set the standard for me of what a monthly comic book should be like. Th- mm-hmm. This is what I was kind of weaned on as a 13 year old. And still, it's like kind of this is what I think a great comic should be. Yeah, I think by the time I read this, either Burn was already off FF or almost off because I feel like I just read through your back issues at a very late date. Okay. Um. Uh. But yeah. Um. They're it's good. great. I mean, it still was one of the first monthly comics I read. I just read it. I binged it. You know, I read it like when you guys were on Marvel Unlimited. I was opening up your plastic uh, uh, bags and pulling them out <laughs> and reading them and putting them back in the bags afterwards. The old Marvel Unlimited. Yeah. Will, um, Will's closet was the old Marvel Unlimited. Well, let's take a break and get to some uh, correspondence. Let's do it. And we are back. Kevin, why don't you dig up some mail and I'll tell the listeners how they can contact us. You can contact us by emailing screwitcomics at gmail. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter, screwitcomics. Or Instagram, Screw It Comics. And of course, if you're participating in our hashtag Screw It Insta Push, you already know about our Instagram. Kevin uh, curates a mighty fine Instagram feed. Would love it if you guys looked at that. And um, Kevin, do we have any mail? We do. Before we get into that, well, let's talk a little bit about what's coming up in the next few weeks for Screw It Comics. Okay, let's do it. So we're doing another episode of Cosmic Rays and Correspondence. That'll be next. next week, which should come out on December 28th. Yes. Uh, and then we'll be into the new year. We'll be into 2023, uh, January 4th. And we're going to start our new season. And this was recommended by one of our listeners, Steve Ditko. <laughs> um, uh, they recommended we cover the first appearance of all the, the the original Marvel characters in that that Silver Age debut period of Marvel Comics. We've already covered FF1, Amazing Fantasy 15, and Hulk 1. But there's a handful of other ones we've never talked about. We're going to cover just the first issues of all those characters, Will. I can't wait. So we're talking Ant-Man. We're uh, talking Thor. We're talking Doctor Strange. We're talking Iron Man. We're talking The Avengers. We're talking X-Men. And Daredevil. Yeah. So we'll we'll cover each of those. That'll be our next season. That'll start in the new year. Uh, and then we'll probably do some more Cosmic Rays and Correspondence and then another uh, season of something else. Yeah, which I think I know we're going to do, but I won't say because we've got it's a little ways up. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. We're probably uh, going to do Ant-Man again. We'll do issue number one of Ant-Man again. And then a whole year on issue one of Ant-Man. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that's what's coming up. Uh, all those things should be on Marvel Unlimited. Um, or you can go buy the original editions if you're a real fan. Uh, at your comic book shops. If you're a real fan, you'll get the number one of every, famously the cheapest and easiest issue to get yeah, yeah. any comics run. Especially they get more the expensive with each issue, right? Oh, yeah, because they get better. Mm-hmm. Great. Most expensive issue of Action Comics to get is 1,000. Number one, that should be nothing. Okay. Um, the first thing we have to read, Will, unfortunately, is a very long email. So we'll see what we can get to after this. This is from our friend Chris Gethard. I can't wait. Chris Gethard, fan of the show, friend of the show. Uh, 
amazing comics fan, articulate, and uh, mm-hmm. he's pretty opinionated. This guy, I'm not gonna, yeah. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, he is. Last time he sent an email, I just sort of recapped roughly what he was talking about, and I guess he took offense at that. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's a, this comes with a demand <laughs> that I read the entire email, and it's not short. <laughs> so I don't want to offend Chris Gethard. He is a friend of ours. He's been sure. on the show a few times. You know, I, he probably is listening to this. He and Porter Mason are probably listening to this episode. I don't want to offend either of them. We get a lot of old school UCB guys listening, so let's let's not let's not we don't want that that bad improv mojo on us. Okay. So the subject of this email is the Squatch and Supreme stretch is gold. <laughs> uh, this is from Chris Gethard, and uh, it starts milk sops. <laughs> you know he knows us. I don't know. <laughs> I love it. He's playing it. He's playing the myth. Uh, I am truly loving this run on Squadron and Supreme. Hearing you talk about something that is close to greatness but fundamentally flawed, while I'm sure it's a bit more of an uphill climb for you when reading these issues, it's bringing great life to the pod for the listener. I love it. I don't think anyone will accuse Mark Grunewald of being the most nuanced writer, nor the most elegant, but he consistently has the best ideas, and that's nothing to sneeze at. It's really gripping hearing you both vent some frustration with the execution of these books, only to go on to describe the actual storylines and think, man, these ideas are good. Yep, it's true. I'm not sure someone would say Squadron Supreme is better than Watchmen, but I am someone who will probably reread Squadron Supreme more than I do Watchmen moving forward in life. There are a few things I'll put out there. Number one, as you both mentioned this week, that pirate shit in Watchmen is dumb. <laughs> I, I, don't think, ha- I don't think we put it that way. No, I don't think so either. Um, it always has been. It always will be. I've had people explain to me that the themes weave into the larger story. I don't care. It's bad and dumb, and we all skip it when we reread it. You know we all do. It's pretentious, and we all have busy lives. No one has the time for the pirate stuff. I mean, I read the pirate stuff, but I do. That's the first thing I skip. I I tend to read Under the Hood. By the way, I usually read the Under the Hood autobiography. Anyway, I I read that too. I I, I skip some of the back matter in the middle issues, but I read the pirate stuff now excitedly. I used to the first few times I would skip it, but not anymore. Man, I love it. I think Gethard's accusation is pretty fair. People don't love it. It is certainly stuff. fair. It is the it's a common complaint, but I I read it, so I don't know. All right, number two. More Moore's writing is definitely higher caliber than Grunewald's. There's no denying it. His dialogue is quiet moments. They can rip your heart out. He can do in three words what it takes Mark Grunewald 50 to accomplish. But if we compare the two series, it says, Looks, look at what superheroes would be in a real world with real problems and moral ambiguity. Well, Watchmen is still better. But let's focus on the superhero part. <laughs> Squadron Supreme gives me more of that. And I like superheroes being superheroes. I know this makes me dumb. I know this is why I went to a state school and not an Ivy League. But Squadron gives me more of actual superheroes flying and shooting stuff and punching bad guys. Watchmen gives me more heroes discussing the past, elegantly explaining their morals, and sitting quietly on the surface of Mars in a way that's captivating. All of that is real. I'm not being snarky. I know it is better. But Squadron just straight up gives me more superheroes punching bad guys, and that's not nothing. Well, I will... you know, he is right. Like I or the way I would put that point is a little bit different, but like Squadron makes uh makes good on its promise of how would superheroes deal with real problems. Like that is dealt with much more head on in Squadron 
And in Watchmen, it's it's a little bit more on the fringes, and it's it's not really the central mm-hmm. part of the story of Watchmen. The central story of Watchmen is like the emotional makeup of the people who would become superheroes. And yeah, Squadron I mean, is more like how would Superman deal with world hunger? Like that I mean, happens. And I I think how superheroes would be in the real world is a pitch people put on Watchmen more than it put on itself, right? Yes, that's true. Uh, also, I would say like my my I, everything he's saying is true, right? Like if you want to see superheroes flying around and zapping things, Squadron Supreme is doing that. Yes. But I would say the action wasn't good enough for that then like compared to the action in like in the ff comics we're reading now it's like the action in these comics is better i kind of wish the action was better if you're gonna have that and do that like really sell that stuff to me yeah well he the last the final battle in squadron is is pretty is pretty hot like it's uh, brutal but i don't think it and i mean maybe there's just a limitation of the artists but it, it doesn't certainly i'm not getting sucked into that battle necessarily it's still uh, the ideas of the battle that pull me in more than what I'm seeing. Well, that that might be a that might be a microcosm of Grunwald. You know, the the overall bullet points are good, and the the minutia of the execution is a little clumsy. That might you know, like the battles mean something in Squadron Supreme, and they advance the story. But yeah, maybe the like actual uh, choreography of what does this punch do and what does that laser blast do is not as gripping as like when John Byrne does it. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. that that's true. Okay, we're about a third of the way into this email, so let's <laughs> keep going. Uh, number three, similar to the pirate stuff. When are we all going to admit that the big brain at the end of Watchmen is bad? We all know Moore was going for a big false flag that unites humanity, and we see what he was going for. So we collectively, as comic fans, have for decades chosen to go. I see what he's going for. I'll ignore that he just dropped a huge version of Krang from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in New York, and it just kind of sits there. That shit is so weak. When the movie changed ev- it, when the movie changed it, everyone got mad, but I was happy. Again, I'm an uneducated slob. <laughs> I know this, but that brain is one of the biggest wah wah trombone sound effects in pop culture history. <laughs> They might as well play the Benny Hill theme song after that brain. <laughs> At some point, we have to come together as nerds and deduct a few points from Watchmen for that ending. Will? Well, I, I, it is true that I don't think of the ending of Watchmen when I think of Watchmen. I, I think of the backstories. I think of Rorschach's Rorschach and the dogs in the kidnapping. I think of, you know, Night Owl uh, um, getting his suit back on and 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 being depressed or like, or the comedian in Vietnam or, or Dr. Manhattan on Mars. I actually don't think of big squid monster in the city. I forget that that happens weirdly. It doesn't come to mind initially. So it's true that it doesn't, it's not the linchpin of, of Watchmen's appeal. Yeah. I mean, the linchpin, the climax is not that it's, it's Ozymandias, right? Yeah. It's Ozymandias. I did it. I did it. Saying I did it already. Right. I mean, he killed a lot of people in New York City. It's not how he did it. It's that he did do it. He got away with it. Um, Anyway, going on. This next part will make me sound insane. But you've both known me for 22 years now, so you know I'm a little insane. Look, I'm not in any way saying that 9-11 was cool. (laughs) (laughs) But it happened. And in a post-9-11 world, the brain thing is even lamer. Like 
was the real version of what Moore, uh, like 9-11 was the real version of what Moore was going for. And this version of it was a big immobile brain. That shit sucks. We've seen the real horror someone would inflict on an unsuspecting New York now. And it looked a lot more terrifying and grim than a stupid immobile brain. Again, I know right now it sounds like I'm saying that 9-11 is merely a tool for me to examine comic book writing. I'm not. It was horrible. People died. I actually spent a lot of that day worrying that Kevin Hines was yeah. dead because no one I knew had heard from him. It yep. was the worst day. But as far as using it to compare Watchmen as Conjun Supreme, I think it gives us some things to think about. Uh, I mean, of course, that? of course, Gethard wants to take down Watchmen. Like, of course, he <laughs> wants to just like take down the unassailable, critically acclaimed comic book mm-hmm. novel of our time. I mean, I do remember 9-11 changed how like a lot of action movies showed like buildings being destroyed, right? It did. And and it, it also probably similar to World War II, like it changed the perspective of comic books themselves. Yeah. And like, just media and pop culture. Yeah. Um uh, you didn't you didn't see hijacking in in airplanes anymore after 9-11. And that was a thing you would see that in the 80s, you know, like a like a Middle Eastern man hijacking a plane or somebody wanting to go to Cuba in a plane that vanished because like it represented something totally different. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway. Yeah. I mean, uh, I don't think a lot of people were talking about, boy, this really makes the end of Watchmen look dumb after 9-11. <laughs> I don't remember that being like what Bruce Springsteen was singing about like on the TV special that Friday, but uh, mm. all right. Good segue talking about music. Well, uh, I sort of think of Watchmen as Nirvana's Nevermind and Squadron Supreme as Great Day's Dookie. <laughs> <laughs> they came out around the same time. Nevermind is a layered and dark and challenging, difficult to listen to at points, and unquestionably a better, more culturally impactful, medium-changing album. Dookie is, at the end of the day, three-chord pop-punk songs, the kind that bands have been farting out ever since the Ramones established it, and people realized they could just put their twist on the Ramones. But which one is more fun? Which one are you going to listen to on a road trip if you want to be in a good mood at the end of the road trip? That's Squads and Supreme to me. <laughs> No, you still get punching this, this is and people. Wrong. <laughs> Let me finish the paragraph. <laughs> you still get punching and people making angry bubbles and a super fast guy actually running fast, whereas Watchmen is a man dressed as an owl with erectile dysfunction. <laughs> that doesn't make you feel good after a long drive. Okay, well. Well, I think that Watchmen may be never mind, but I don't think Squadron Supreme is dookie because, like, <laughs> Squadron Supreme is also not a hit. Like, Squadron Supreme is, like, not a thing that people return to. I think like maybe maybe uh Born Again, maybe Secret Wars is dookie. Like that might be something that people read it over and over again. Like I, I kind of resist Squadron Supreme being presented as a working man's good time. I don't think that's true either. <laughs> I don't think it's like let's relax with Tom Thumb, you know, going into the future and getting some penicillin, you know, or like set, yeah. you know, or eight panels of should we vote Golden Archer out of the squadron? I, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's Dookie. Uh, <laughs> I really thought you were gonna. I thought you were gonna talk more about be... Nevermind, but this was a defense of Dookie. <laughs> Maybe Squadron Supreme is like Alice in Chains or something like that, or Soundgarden, uh, uh, something because I still think it's a little bit, um. Difficult. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I know Watchmen is better. I know Nevermind is better. 
but I also only have so much time on Earth and I can't spend any more of it on that pirate stuff. <laughs> at the end, we're all at the stretch run now. Well, at the end of the day, if there's one thing your brilliant series examining Squadron Supreme proves to me, it's that your fan base deserves more of you two discussing Mark Grunewald. <laughs> Specifically, I humbly insist that you cover the entirety of his decade-plus run on Captain America. <laughs> oh the fans would love it. I've written you an email about this before. You referenced that email on the air, but didn't actually read it. Please read this one. And then dedicate more time on your podcast to reading the original one as well. <laughs> he wants me to read the original email. I'm not doing that right now. And let the people decide if the milksops should be covering the entirety of Mark Grunewald's epic cap run. You can even call it America and Mailbags. You're welcome. Seriously, this thing involve, involving a mummy halfway through uh, – uh, seriously, there is this thing involving a mummy halfway through Grunewald's Captain America run that I need to hear Kevin react to. I want to be in the room when he reads it. His reaction will be so funny. The world needs to hear this. I know I keep bringing up this mummy thing, but when I think about Kevin reading it, I smile and even sometimes laugh out loud. Yes. Uh, oh, no, I wait, keep... there's one more. Sorry, there's one more sentence. I missed it. As always, thanks for making this podcast. It's my favorite podcast, along with Criminal by Phoebe Judge. Murph has a new <laughs> podcast called Weekly Dose that is very good as well, but neither of those feature two brothers talking about a thing they love, that thing being comic books. Gaff. Oh, man. What an email. Um, yeah. Ooh. Well, first of all, America and Mailbags would be a great name. That is a good name. So I'll put it to our listeners. Who wants to hear us go over a decade-plus run of Captain America, America and Mailbags? I'm going to say, Geth, you make a great case, but there has not been a groundswell of <laughs> – I would say, actually, nobody else has asked us to read We've the had Mark one Greenwald. other person. Okay. It's not, been a, it's not been a commonly referred to thing. We've had, we've had more people ask us to read, like um, – new warriors is it uh like yeah. early 90s stuff there's been there's been more requests for that um i mean 120 issues that's a decade <laughs> we covered generally when we do things like burn and x-men we were covering we settled into about three issues a podcast yeah so it's 40 episodes <laughs> i don't know how many we spent doing x-men did we do a decade of x-men uh, we did a hundred issues of X Men. I think we did less X Men than what he's asking for us to do of Grunewald's Captain. Yeah, America. we did. We did a little less. Yeah, that's an insane ask. It's very. But we're considering funny. it. I mean, we're considering. I mean, it's very eloquently argued for, and it's very nice that he worked in actual things we say on the podcast into his email. So, uh, you know, if you if you if you need an advocate for your for yourself on a comic book podcast, Gethard's not a bad one to have. <laughs> uh, that's definitely the funniest defensive Squadron Supreme you're going to hear. Do we have okay, time well, for any other emails? Uh, uh, that's on you. Uh, how much time do you think we got? Let's do let's do a couple more. Okay. Um, going back to November twenty first, we got this email from uh, uh, Ilan Kaplan, a uh, uh, improviser slash fan of our podcast, who's written us before. Uh, subject: Incorrectly used powers. Dear Milksops, your recent Cosmic Rays and Correspondence series had me go back and listen to your first FF series. Uh, in it, you talk about how the Invisible Woman initially doesn't really use her invisibility very well, and how eventually there's a storyline where Nick Fury taps her for some S.H.I.E.L.D. spy work, which really does use her invisibility. This made me think of an anime series called My Hero Academia about a super-powered high school, and there's a big focus on using whatever power you have to its greatest utility. So a guy whose power is just that he has a prehensile tail is able to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with classmates who have way better traditional powers mm. because he's learned martial arts in order to use his tail to its greatest advantage. 
what superheroes do you think underuse their superpowers? And what do you think they'd have to do to get the maximum benefit out of them? Uh, Till next time, make mine milksop. Uh, it is always funny when a hero gets a lot of attention from a creative artist and they start their power to start becomes better because it's in the hands of someone who's like paying attention mm-hmm. to it. Um, again, Jack Kirby on any book he worked on would find like the most visually creative things to do with powers pr- pretty reliably. Yeah, I like when powers are used creatively rather than just giving them new powers too. Uh, I mean, that happened to Sue, right? She was given force fields, but in general, that works. But in general, I feel like often characters were given just like amping their powers up. Right, right. Um, I mentioned this last or two episodes ago, but like in Kingdom Come when Shazam, uh, when Captain Marvel hugs Superman and says Shazam in order to have the lightning bolt strike Superman, that was a creative use of powers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but who needs who needs to be using their powers more? Who's got the most under? Um, well, how's that? How about that guy Empath in the? Um, is it the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants or the Hellfire Club? I forget Hellfire which one. Club. Um, is he used a lot? I feel like that's you know being able to amp up emotions the way they're going is pretty good. Yeah, he he might be dead, I, and I have no idea where that character <laughs> is at this point. He's an X Men character, um, so which means which means he can come back, right? They all could be resurrected. That's right. He could be so. hatched in an egg somewhere. Uh, what about Mass Master? Could he like suffocate people with his cloud powers? I don't know. He could certainly go into your lungs and grow. Oh yeah. Yeah, uh, that's gruesome. He could. Yeah, that's really. Yeah, that's something. Um, if he could go into your lungs and then reform, he's like one of the most yeah. vicious and brutal heroes there is. Yeah, I want to see that third grader kill more people. <laughs> um, who else has like interesting powers? Like, um, I'm just everybody I'm thinking over is like I'm Kingpin doesn't have powers. Uh, Hobgoblin doesn't have powers. Uh, right. Or he has, does yeah. he have the goblin formula? I mean, yeah, he's strong or whatever. Yeah, but there's not a there's not a ton going on there. What about like some Spider-Man villains, the Vulture or um, Scorpion or Sandman? Here's the it's... thing. I don't love when Sandman becomes huge. I like when he stays man-sized. Like one of the ways they've amped his powers up is that he can become like a giant because he can like absorb more sand. Yes, uh, I don't love giant Sandman. However, uh, an aspect of Sandman that I think is interesting is if I separate him into two bags, can each of the bags work independently? Like, could Sandman theoretically break himself into like a hundred little guys? Well, I don't know what the answer is in comics. What would you want the answer to be? I, th- I, Alan Moore will do this sometimes. Well, he'll take one of his characters and use the power in a way that suddenly makes them incredibly dangerous. Um, and I, I kind of like it, but I do think you are, a, that means you are like starting the clock of when this character has to be removed from continuity because they're like too powerful. Um, I guess the answer to my question would be like, I think it'd be more fun if you could control both halves. Yeah, I think it'd be funny if you could just like, one of the problems of Salmon is you, you, you he could leave, you got him in jail, but there's like a three inch three square inch amount of him left behind that is his little like deputy when he's in jail because it's just hard to know you got them all yeah and you need like reed richards to do some kind of trace of magic sand energy to know that you got them all yeah i think the way that he's been portrayed is like there's like one grain of sand that is actually sandman 
Okay. Net controls, but I don't like that as much personally. It is easy to organize, at least. Yeah. Now, the I living, get why that exists. The, the living brain's pretty underused. The big green robot in issue uh, eight of <laughs> yeah. Spider Man. He shows up in Supreme Spider Man, uh, Superior Spider Man, though. Uh, he, he did get a little bit of his moment in this. Becomes an assistant. Um, yeah. Um, pinball? Pinball. There we go. How would pinball? So one thing I've learned about pinball, and I posted this on Instagram, is pinball is the character in Squadron Supreme who like becomes a ball in one issue and rolls by and then gets killed. <laughs> or doesn't get killed, I guess. Oh, no, yeah, he does get killed. He gets killed, um, yeah. Um, but I've read since then, he, it's not even a power. He just owns a suit that inflates <laughs> into a ball. So he's just a guy. Like a wearing... sumo suit from the N- yeah. NBA. Yeah. He just has an inflatable suit. So how does that power get used better? I mean, you got to inflate other things besides just your suit, I guess. <laughs> like you have to start like inflating like shoes and gloves mm-hmm. and like car seats and stuff like, you know, really, he's he should be called airbag. It's such a weird uh, <laughs> character. Um, we have an email here from, don't get excited, Will. This is John Bournes. Uh, John Burns. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, howdy, Silk Mops. Nice. Firstly, I wanted to commiserate with Will and his struggles with Barry Lyndon. I'm also listening and watching along with Blank Check. I've seen and enjoyed most Kubrick movies, and I'd heard so many good things about Barry Lyndon, but damn, that movie felt like homework. People love it. Maybe I'm the idiot, uh, but I just didn't give a shit about him or his story, and it took me like four viewing sessions to finish. Me too. I think I did five. Secondly, I had never read Squadron Supreme or heard of it until now. I've read the first three issues. This is as of November 21st. I've read the first three issues and was similarly unimpressed with them. I think for me, I generally find that I'm not into whenever DC tries to make their version or something or Marvel tries to make their version of something. They always sort of feel generic and lazy. I have a hard time getting past that. The only exception I can think of so far is the comics show The Boys. I think that the fact that they're sort of subverting the superhero tropes makes it feel less like of an attempt to try and make money off of something that another company had successfully made money off of. I say this because I actually see more comparisons between Squadron Supreme and The Boys than I do between Squadron Supreme and Watchmen. The way the characters interact with each other and how they treat what they're doing as assignments and complain about some of the less glamorous duties all seem very similar to the boys. The amphibian talks with dolphins. Talking with dolphins is literally directly shown in the boys' character, The Deep. In true Heinz Brothers fashions, I have no research to support this, (laughs) but I wonder if the creators of the boys were Squadron Supreme fans or if they were inspired to try and take the concept of the squadron and apply a more modern and cynical approach to it. Thoughts? Thanks Thanks for the great show. John Bournes. Um, my take is I I love the boys. I think the boys is terrific. I doubt they needed to have read Squadron because they're just they're coming off of like Justice League archetypes pretty directly. And, mm-hmm. and you know, the whole idea of be cynical about superheroes, that is not something that Squadron introduced. I mean, um, that said, the showrunners would be of the age where they probably came up reading Squadron Supreme. They they certainly might have read it, but it, it doesn't seem to me a, a what they read is superhero comics. Like they read Justice mm-hmm. League comics. They read Aquaman, Superman stuff. They definitely read Watchmen. Um, they certainly read the original The Boys. Uh, mm-hmm. I hope. I mean, it's really <laughs> weird if they didn't. Um, but I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think, I don't actually don't think Squadron is going for the same thing The Boys is going for. The the Squadron actually lets its heroes be heroes a lot, and there's good 
people in Squadron Supreme. And there's really nobody good in The Boys. I do agree, though, that The Boys has more in common with Squadron Supreme than Watchmen. Yeah, sure. That makes sense to me. Uh, It's almost like they independently evolved, I bet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, As far as analogs of superheroes, I sort of get his point. Like, I don't. There's a few like Superman like characters in the Marvel Universe, and they just don't work as well for me. Um, but part of that is just because it's the Marvel Universe and Superman as a character is just doesn't I don't know, for some reason doesn't fit in the 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 more grounded feel that Marvel has. But I will say that there are analog stories that I love. Planetary, uh, Will, we've talked about in the past. Yeah, Planetary is really fun. Uh, Planetary works. That's got lots of analogs in it. Um, there was this comic by Joe Casey, I think, or was it Joe Kelly? I get those guys confused all the time. Anyway, called Mr. Majestic, which was a Jim Lee character that's basically Superman. Mm. And he was telling in that book basically like Silver Age Superman stories. And that comic was a blast. And Supreme by Alan Moore is another one that kind of gets to have fun with Superman and do things that you can't do. The, the the benefit of these things is you can do things you can't do in Superman comics because you can't break the character, but you can sort of break Supreme and you can break Majestic yeah, and tell those stories. So that is the the benefit of these analogs if they're done well. Um, that's a great point. That's a great point. Um, Finally. I like, I like Black Cat. She's an analog of Catwoman, and I think she works well in the Marvel Universe. Yeah. You know who you don't see an analog of is J. Jonah Jameson. There's no J. Jonah Jameson. Like, Perry White is not an analog of no. J. Jonah Jameson. I mean, I bet there's got to be some J. Jonah Jameson parody characters that have shown up in D.C. from time to time. But there yeah. certainly isn't one that is like a recurring character that has become a big part of the D.C. Where does, universe. Where does J.J.J. rank in a list of all-time great comic book characters? Um, Probably right after Popeye. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he's up there. Uh, he's, he's great. Be, I mean, he's he, so funny. He'd be very high, I think. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. way higher than his importance to the story, you know, for a sure. non-superhero. Story. He's higher than most superheroes. Yeah. I mean, certainly if you were ranking Marvel Comics characters, right, he would be way up there. But even all comics, I think. I think he he, he would be up there with Popeye. Pogo, um, JJJ, Popeye. Oh, let's read one more because it just fits with what we were just talking about. Okay. Uh, Justin Walker emails us. I'm curious if you sops ever read Irredeemable by Mark Wade or The Phenomenal Planetary by the now disgraced Warren Ellis. Mm-hmm. If not, maybe check them out. Thanks for the great podcasts. I think I remember Irredeemable. I didn't read it. I, I read Planetary and I don't remember any of it. I just remember liking it. Kevin? Planetary is great. Um, it was one of those companies that was really great and then slowed way, way, way down like like it was just like a year between issues started happening, um, which I think hurt it to some extent. Like, and I I remember reading it at, when it was all finished, and the first half is great, and the second half is pretty good. And I wonder how much of that is just like they slowed down on it, but uh, it's great, and it, and John Cassidy's art is fantastic in it. Uh, Irredeemable by Mark Wade suffers from being like one of many evil Superman stories. Mm-hmm. The concept is basically like Superman becomes a bad guy. Um, and like, how do the other, this is a perfect, it's an analog book, right? It's like, how did the Justice League stop him? It's the same thing that Injustice is for the DC comics, but it's yeah. by Mark Wade. So it's pretty well done. Yeah. Uh, I remember liking it okay. There was a companion series called Incorruptible, which is about okay. basically a character that felt like an evil Batman, except this was like, 
the Superman character's arch nemesis. And when he saw that the Superman character had become evil, he decided, well, then I'll become good. Like for some reason in his mind, he's like, well, then I have to be good if he's bad now. (laughs) And so it was incorruptible. And I loved that comic. It was much more fun to me that this villain who's decided to become a hero and how he goes about it was really, really interesting and fun to me. And I think Mark Wade really knocked that out of the park. Interesting. Okay. Uh, also, Injustice, which is by Tom Taylor, a comic book writer I really like. It, there's a video game called Injustice. Well, you like video games. I played Injustice 2 recently. Um, and it's just like a fighting game mostly, right? Yeah. It's like a side-by-side. And the concept of that Mortal game is Kombat like Superman is evil. and Yeah, the hero's got to try to take him out. And Yeah. So the comic is basically leading up into the game. It's it's from the inciting incident, which is like Lois Lane being killed by the Joker up until the game begins. And so Tom Taylor wrote a series that was like filling in those gaps. And it, again, it's like evil Superman is so boring, but Tom Taylor, who I'd never read before oh, when he was doing this, just really understood the DC characters. So like within this kind of dumb concept, it's like, oh man, this is a really well-written green arrow or, oh, I really love this take hmm. on uh, the Robins. Um, and all of a sudden I'm like, why is this comic so good? And it just like, it just shows like, you can tell a good story even like kind of in a bad pitch. That's it. Uh, okay. Well, um, maybe we'll leave it there. Yeah, I think that's it. We're done. Okay, so uh, we'll see you guys next episode where we're going to go over some more um, Cosmic Rays and Correspondence. If you want to see us do 120 issues of uh, Captain America written by Mark Grunewald, please let us know. Or anything else you want to let us know uh, about comic books, screw it comics at Gmail. Uh, there's also Screw It Comics on Twitter and Instagram. And, and screw don't forget it, our InstaPush. Yep, hashtag Screw It InstaPush. Still in effect for all of December like we do every year starting this year. Kevin, I'll see you soon. See you around, Will Hines. Bye-bye. Screw it, screw it. We're just going to talk about comics.